I'd like to thank my sponsors, Voyager, Choice by Kingdom Trust, and Electronium for making this episode possible. Stay tuned for more info on them later. What is up, everybody? This is Scott Melker, your host of the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where twice a week I talk to your favorite personalities in the worlds of finance, Bitcoin, crypto, art, music, politics, sports, basically anyone with an interesting story to tell. This show is powered by Blockworks Group, a media company with over 20 podcasts in their network. You can check them out at blockworksgroup.io. If you like the podcast and you follow me on Twitter, you absolutely need to check out my website and join my newsletter where I share all my trades, charts, analysis, market thoughts, and lessons on improving your trading and investing. You can check all that out at wolfofallstreets.io. So today's guest is a friend of mine who's founded one of the most useful and interesting companies in the crypto space. Joe Vizani, the CEO of Lunar Crush, noticed that participants and observers in the crypto space lacked traditional sources to gauge social sentiment in the market. Now with his solution, traders, investors, and developers can better understand the complexities of the crypto space and how social sentiment plays into that. So really, really excited to talk to Joe today. What's up, man? How are you? Thank you for being here. Oh, I'm doing well, doing well. Thank you so much for having me. That was a great intro. I should, uh, I should, I gotta write that one down. Hooray. You know, every time I say your name, since I spent like 10 years in Philly, I want to do the Rocky voice, Adrian, like Joe Pisani, you know, it has that feeling to it. You don't look that way, you know, but it has that feel. It's a funny, it's actually a pretty funny story. So my grandfather is Gino Vizzani. My dad is Gino Vizzani Jr. And they literally had, my parents had an opportunity to, to call me Gino Vizzani III from Chicago. I was from Chicago and they oh, passed wow. on that because my mom was, blonde hair, light skin. She's like, this is going to be a blonde haired kid. We can't call him Gino Vizzani. I like uh, it. I, I mean, you know, that would have been, sometimes I, you think I missed out a little bit. You would have had like serious street cred walking into any room or situation, I think. And the best cheese, uh, Pat's and Gino's are like the two famous cheesesteak places in Philly. So that even like lends, you know, lends a little more credibility there to what I was saying about the, the Rocky voice. He actually runs through the Italian market right past him. And every time he's training in the movie and runs up the steps, it's awesome. Anyways, I digress. So um, <laughs> what's up, man? I, I would love to hear, you know, uh, your background, how, how this all got started and how you ended up in this space. For sure. Um, you know, found, I can kind of start where I found crypto. My co-founder, John Fargo and I, we had worked together for about for a year or so. I think it was like 2015 when we, he brought it up to me and he's like, hey man, you know, like, you know what Bitcoin is? And I was like, no, he's like, you, you got to check it out. You got to check it out. And um, you know, coming from a world of, of finance and technology, I was like, this is where the intersection of these two spaces are. And it, like, I need to be on board. And so we, we just started kind of going back and forth on everything and just learning about more. And then things like Ethereum started coming up. And, you know, I remember back to buying, you know, hamburgers at lunchtime with Ethereum and sending it to my friend, you know, if it was $5 and, you know, I, God knows That's how much I made him. He's expensive hamburger, dude. <laughs> he took me to a bunch of USD games, so it's all good. It's all even now. Um, but yeah, it was just you know coming out of school. I came out of school in two thousand and eight, and it was you know it was an interesting time back then too, especially in the financial world. I have a finance and economics degree, and you know I wanted to go work for Lehman Brothers. You know, right. I had some friends that that had worked there, um, and they were trying to help me get a job there, and. Um, you know, it was like, I was probably like a month away from moving to New York. And I'll remember, never forget, you know, Lehman Brothers saying, they're like, hey, sorry, we're not taking a class in this year that, you know, that we're not taking the next kind of grad class in. 
Um, and then about like a couple months later, you know, they don't exist anymore. Right. Wow. And I was like, holy shit, how, how do we get to a point in, in society where this hundred year old bank where it's like the most nostalgic, I mean, th- there's like Lehman brothers hospital and it's just ingrained yeah, into like the society there and everywhere. So, and so institution in the United States. I mean, yes. Yes. And Bear Stearns yeah. too. And so, you know, I, I know the story about how, you know, Goldman made it through that and AIG and, and, you know, we don't have to go into all that, all that crap, but, um, you know, came out of school and I was like, what do I do? Where do I, where do I go next? Right. And so being from Chicago, I went down to the university of Chicago and, um, you know, there was a job fair there and, you know, I, I'm like, I thought I was going to do like proprietary trading, like prop trading. Like I was going to trade like corn and like just got Chicago board of trade. I was like, this is what some of my friends, parents did when I was younger. I wanted to follow that path a little bit. And, um, uh, you know, it's kind of a funny story, but you know, I, I'll never forget. I see this really long line for people waiting for this one company and the line kind of just so happened to be a bunch of really pretty girls. And I'm being, I'm 22 and I was kind of like, what's that company? And, uh, someone's like, you know, that's an advertising agency. And I was like, well, what, what do they do? I don't even know what they do. And they're like, well, they like marketing and stuff. I was like, oh, I'll go over there. And I look at the list and they had a financial analyst position open. And I was like, oh, I could do that. Um, and so I applied for it and, you know, I think the, the starting salary, uh, you know, at Lehman or something was going to be like close to a hundred grand a year and the After starting salary for sure. Yeah. yeah. And the starting salary for this was like 36 or something. And you know, I, my dad worked in the mortgage business and, um, I called him, I was like, dad, I got this job. Like, should I really, it's 35, like what should I really do it? And he, you know, working in the mortgage business was like, I think Washington mutual or something had just gone out of business, which is that was at the time kind of like the rocket mortgage, the large, largest like loan originator in, in the country. Yeah. And, uh, he's like, they just went out of business. He's like, take anything. He's like, literally, he's like, get a job now. Um, and so I actually ended up finding like the world of advertising and basically worked in like the proverbial mail room. I worked in the, on the general ledger of the accounting side and, learned a completely different business. And, um, the company was called at the time draft FCB. It was foot cone and building was a kind of a historical ad agency. And I'll never forget. I think it was like the first year or so I worked there. They won the Miller Coors account when Miller and Coors merged. And they literally had the backstreet boys come play in the office. That world, man. In the office. And I was just thinking to myself, like it, you know, it was probably six months into working there where my boss was like, Hey, you don't need to wear a tie anymore. Like you could just kind of wear, it's a little bit, I was wearing like a tie, like a suit into like yeah. an advertising. Yeah. Day, you know, yeah. like, um, so I did that for, for many years and, and learned about a completely different business than, you know, I was in and it kind of just, my curiosity just kind of brought me through that business. And, you know, I ended up moving out to Southern California from Chicago to work on some cool accounts like Taco Bell and Smokey the Bear and, these cool nice. things and started trying to maybe produce a little bit of radio and, and kind of do like broadcast business affairs and things like that. And, um, eventually you find out in advertising that, you know, it doesn't, doesn't pay as well as a young, as a young, you know, fella in that industry. And so I, I went and, and actually ended up going into sales and worked for a big company called Owens Corning. And, and, you know, at 25, I was running California, Nevada and Hawaii and had a, you know, expense account and a car. And it was like the most epic, you know, experience to be just traveling around and learning, you know, channel management and pricing strategy and like what manufacturing, which is something that I didn't know. Right. Um, and you know, founded another company, um, that was called lifeline response. And I was a kind of a junior co-founder there and, 
ended up going through a Techstars accelerator with that company back in 2014. And that's where I kind of learned. I was always, I was kind of a gamer and always knew technology, but I was really learning technology at that point and learning what user experience was and learning other stuff. And um, so that's kind of like my, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur and be in startups. And that was my first kind of like dip my toes into that, which was pretty epic. And so learned that and you know, that, that went for a couple of years, company's still around. I kind of learned a lesson there about like founder conflict and everything else, which was an interesting, (laughs) (laughs) interesting thing. It's why most companies fail, but um, you know, uh, unbelievable experience there. And then actually went back into advertising, but this time kind of with a new shell, you know, I, I learned a lot more than I, you know, I'd kind of, I think, jumped past a lot of people with four or five years of startup experience. You realize like, well, you really learn a lot when you try to start your own thing and um, ended up working in advertising again for a couple of years and, you know, did everything from building a mobile apps for Hyundai to writing strategy for Super Bowl commercials and all sorts of crazy stuff. And then I found Bitcoin and it was like, this is where I need to be. So long-winded response for you there. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I had a lot of uh, similarities, actually, my background. I, with my own college degree and like I graduated in 99, but in 2004, I went and worked in the mailroom of a uh, commercial editing agency. So they, you know, the ad, ad agencies were their clients and they were editing literally like the Super Bowl commercials and stuff. And it was the same thing because they were basically to win accounts meant who could entertain the people the best when they were in the office. So I was sitting yes. in this like little mail place delivering packages and stuff because I was just desperate and needed money. But like everyone's playing ping pong and drinking and it's open bar and open everything. Everyone's playing video games, all the guys editing and hiring talent to come in and kind of same thing. I was really mind blown by that industry in general, how much money they spend to woo business and to keep it because the people basically just choose who they like to work with the best since everybody's pretty much competent, I think. So we got to your, your Bitcoin story. So talk about, uh, obviously you discovered Bitcoin, you believed in it, but why lunar crush? Yeah. And so John and I would, would kind of just every day, like, you know, we call each other on the ride home and we would just kind of start shoot the shit a little bit about, you know, what's missing from this industry. How do we get involved? And, you know, we were, you know, we were kind of those people once we started to figure stuff out and talk to people about it, you know, we were the friends in the text thread that everyone was like, you know, Hey, what do I buy? What, you know, what's Tron, you know, just like all this crazy stuff. And so we thought to ourselves, we're like, what do we do? How do you know? And it was partially people were like, Oh, you can consult on this stuff and help people. And I was like, that's not really, you know, you, you, in order to be an expert in something, you have to build in that industry. You have to really understand how to build something and what the market looks like. And that's how you become an expert. And so we wanted to be experts. And so when we thought about the ways that we learned about different projects, it was really, you know, you're going out to Twitter and you're looking for things and cause that's where the social discourse is happening. And then you're looking on places like Reddit and you're trying to find different news articles and they're all outdated and you can't really track the conversation in real time. And so we, we said to ourselves, like, how do we create transparency to a point where, you know, you're going to know as an individual at a glance, you know, if something like urine finance is, does have a community, right. And then the community is really what denotes value in our space, right. There, there are no, and we, you know, we, we talked about at the beginning of when we started kind of creating the language in this space of, you know, there's no earnings reports, you know, there's no earnings calls. Like, how do you know whether or not something has value or not? And it was really, does it have a community? And it's almost the same thing as the number of wallets type, type idea behind, 
You know, are people talking about it? Are people contributing? Are they excited? And then not only are they excited in real time, but are they excited and have they been excited over a longer period of time? So, you know, we talk about projects like a Chainlink or a Tezos that have been around for a while that have kind of a groundswell, if you will, of, of people that are surrounding the project. And so when we thought about that, we're like, now th this has to be like, that's where we, we kind of saw at the beginning of what we knew that it can turn into. And so it was really, can we get this data, right? Can we get the Twitter feed? Can we get Reddit APIs? Can we get news like all in one place? And it was, that's like the easiest part of the business. The hardest part of the business is organizing and cleaning that data. And right. so it's like that, that to us, we have a lot of people that come to us and they're like, they're like, oh, well, you know, we know this, this hedge fund or someone else is, is doing this. They just grab all this data. And I was like, yeah, well, what are you doing with it? Right. Like it ha it, there's a lot that you need to do in order to make it usable and make it simple and have the experience on your product be at a place where people can just drop on there and be like, oh, I know what this is. Holy crap. Like this, this coin came out like two weeks ago and it's gone like this. And there's community is gone like this. Now the community's dropped off. Well, what do you think the price is going to do? And right. so it's educating the space and something that's a little bit different that maybe they're not, they're not used to. And so we went and just started building it, coming up with it, brought a little bit of a team on, brought some other co-founders in and, you know, just started building. And then it was July of 2019 is when we actually um, went full time at it. We did, we were working kind of moonlighting, you know, I was going to conferences while I was at another, at another position, just because it was like, this is how you have to build in the space when, you know, we were kind of in crypto winter. And so we were building during that time. And it was like, we always knew that we were doing something that mattered and we were focused and our heads were down because it felt right. Even though people would come to us and be like, I thought like Bitcoin was like dead. Like what, like what happened there? And then you're, you're just looking at them like, what? Like, I think Blockstream's like shooting satellites into space or something to keep the network yeah. going. So those billionaires are doing that. Like, I think it's probably going to keep going. Yeah, fair enough. So how do you um, quantify the size of a community based on, you know, social data and interaction? A couple of different ways. So we look at social volume, which is just pure, almost just imagine like unique hits to your website. Right. Right. This is just individuals. Each, Mentions. You know, yeah. Yeah. Mention. If you talk, if you mention, you know, if you mention Bitcoin five times that day, that's going to be five unique mentions of what social volume is. And then we also look at engagement. And so we're looking at, you know, if you mentioned Bitcoin five times, what, how many likes did it have? How many retweets did it have? How many upvotes on Reddit? How many times was it, was it mentioned in a news article? You know, how many YouTube, Medium? So we're adding all those in the kind of virality of a post. And so that's, that's a good way for people to kind of denote, you know, is there a huge spike in something that's happening? That's like something's happening right now. You need to be paying attention to it. Um, and then we've started to kind of add a couple more metrics, like a social contributor. So how many individuals over time? So if you're talking about something that's just one time in the day. And so it's a little bit different of a metric, but it's, it's kind of how, like I was saying before, you really kind of feel the groundswell of whether a project's working. And then uh, we developed a couple of kind of proprietary metrics um, where, you know, we're going to have a lot more of these that come out. But the first one we call our galaxy score, just because we're all about just lunar and moon and crushing and everything else. I got the moon, man. Uh, Crush the moon. Let's go. Yeah, I got to get, get back to go to the moon. There's only two ways to go. 
And uh, so yeah, Galaxy Score is is really looking at a coin's performance against itself. It's kind of like you racing against yourself over and over and trying to beat your time. So like the Galaxy Score is zero to 100. And you know, it tends to be in like a 30 to 80 range roughly. And so when it's 80 or 90, that means that there's a lot of social volume on that coin compared to its previous social volume. It's price performance. So like something like a, like a moving average, like a MACD is outperforming. And then it's also looking at market volume and then correlating all of those things together to say, are they all moving together? And that's really what kind of will boost a score up. So it's not just social data. I mean, you're, you, it's, right. it's social data in confluence with technical indicators that people are probably familiar with and use. Correct. So we back, we tried to back test all the different kind of technical analysis that's out there and figured out, you know, which ones at least within crypto were working more over time. And so those are the ones that we kind of slot into the scores. So it helps us identify at least the momentum side of price, because a lot of people trade off that and it is, it does work if you use it well. Uh, but social added into that is really just kind of that extra boost it needed. So the galaxy score almost could be, I mean, or maybe has been like, viewed as an indicator on a chart for sure yeah i mean we have on lunar crush you can look right. at that on like a trading view chart over time and it's it's real time though which is kind of the cool. you know people are always like there's a lot of people out there like oh i did some analysis on this one you know this one coin and we're going to rank them as like an a minus right it's like well a minus a minus for how long three months right things happen quickly in this industry. You could be an A minus one day and right. an F plus uh, right. F minus. Probably Bitcoin probably an A plus four days ago. Right now I put it in like a, a D plus, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh. Really crazy. So, so like we always say, you know, in trading people joke sort of that, you know, volume precedes price, like check what the volume is doing. And then you have a very likelihood as to whether a trend is intact and what's coming next. It sounds right. like that's what you're doing, like that social data and sentiment is somewhat like volume because you can see this swell and in interest in advance of price moving and therefore becomes an indicator. Is that like a proper way to sort of view it? Oh yeah. I'd say that would, that would be a great way to look at it. And it's, it's also this, people start chatting first before they're potentially buying. Like, has anyone looked at this or, you know, or if there's a piece of news that happens, if there's an acute event that happens, people still need to get in our industry, their coins to the right place to their assets to get somewhere to buy something. So there's lag there. And that's where some of the larger, more sophisticated investors can take advantage of some of that stuff because they've got assets sitting in the places that they need to be. Um, but yes, it's essentially sometimes volume definitely precedes price. It's something that we think investors should always be looking at. Um, if you want to really understand, you know, potentially what's a longer term investment, I would say. So what, like if your average person comes to you, comes to Lunar Crush, basically is mm -hmm. like, how do I use this? How am I going to make money with this? What do I do? How, you know, if you come to your site for the first time and you want to check it out and you want to learn how to use it, what's the approach? So when you log into Lunar Crush, you're going to see a markets page, almost like you'd see on some of the other standard kind of pricing pages. But as you kind of dig deeper, you're going to find, you know, most likely you're going to find our two metrics first, which is galaxy score, like I mentioned, and then alt rank. And so alt rank could be my favorite piece of, of lunar crush that I like, that's what I stare at all day. Right. Is I rank everything by our alt rank, which alt rank is looking at a coin's performance against Bitcoin over time. So is it beating Bitcoin? Yes or no. 
does it have a social volume that's increasing over time? And then does it have actual tradable market volume, right? Like, is there, is there actual volume for you to push money in and out of this thing and actually trade it versus like trying to buy a specific coin and literally moving the market with like 25 grand. Right. Yeah. Good and times. so, <laughs> yeah, which a lot of people, and once you do that, you're like, well, I'm never getting this money out. Um, yeah. and so you just hold it forever. But we're, I would say that's where I would start as an, as someone coming out to Lunar Crush first is just, just look at the market a little bit differently than you normally would with just price and rank it by alt rank and just kind of see what pops into that top 10. And again, it's real time, just like galaxy score. So it's changing when we get data, it's not every 30 seconds or minute, whenever we get data that that changes. And so I would say, look at the top 25, look at the coins that end up in that top 25 over and over and over again. That means good price for Bitcoin, good community, which we said is really what you need in order to kind of create that groundswell and market volume. So you can trade it, right. You can invest in it. So how do you quantify whether it's positive or negative engagement? Because like, I'm sure, you know, uh, this is going to date our conversation, but things like hot dog and yam, you know, that uh, everybody was talking about, but because they went to zero, right? So how do you make sure right. that what you're seeing is positive interaction and not just a swell in people, you know, freaking out and panicking with anger about, about a coin? <laughs> well, it, conversation and, and sentiment's an interesting one because sometimes when people are even talking negatively, cause it is so tribal, it doesn't necessarily mean that that is a negative. It's going to be something negative. For price. Uh, sure. So sure. Right. The way that we, the way that we look at it today is as we receive all this data from these feeds and it's coming in, we actually are, we're, we're analyzing it ourselves first. And so we're looking and training a model, a machine learning model, on crypto specific data and language. So, you know, when you're, if you're out there, you're trading, you know, JP Morgan or Duke energy or something, you're not going to go tweet and be like, Duke energy just got wrecked. R E K T. Like you're not going to, you, you, you might, you're not but gonna, you're not going <laughs> to get many responses. <laughs> I might, but <laughs> right. You might, but it's like, you know, as a trader, you're kind of blending into different markets, right. which I think all traders do. And so, you know, we've, we've trained, you know, you couldn't just pick up a regular NPL natural or NLP natural language processing library. You can't just pick up something that says good, bad, up, down, and try to put that on the crypto market. That's, it's not going to work. That's and so, how they talk. Yeah. Yeah. We've trained it to say, you know, if, you know, if Dogecoin is mooning, like that's probably a positive sentiment. Right. And so we've trained this. And so have we, as we've trained that data, now we just unleash it on the, you know, 300,000 today pieces of data that come in every day. Um, and that helps us gauge sentiment a little bit, bullish and bearish. And so that goes into as it gets smarter, because it's like machine learning is only as smart as it is today. And then eventually, you know, it's like it can't land the plane. And then eventually it could land the plane better than a human can every single right. time. Of course. So if you try to hit those thresholds. How much of this could be automated for a trader? You know, just set a bot to track it, do your buying and selling and go drink your pina colada on the beach. Pina colada on the beach. Pina colada. Yeah. Pina. pina. I, th I think, um, I don't even know if it's pina, pina, I don't know. Um, I think pinata. with the bot. I think that's a thing. <laughs> pinata is like what I'm like whacking at right now in the market, trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing. Cause I can't. Oh, I mean, just, right now. Yeah. No. We could talk about that in a minute, but, um, bots. I, I think it's an interesting one with bots and it's, it's, you know, it's kind of where people say they want to get, and it's a very, it seems like a very clean 
way to trade and everyone wants to set it and forget it and walk away and just make money forever into perpetuity. But never happens. I think there's, there's so many different types of traders and investors and to get people in the crypto industry, you know, that might be a little bit of the older generation onboarded. It's like, I don't know if that's like necessarily the place that we build into first, I guess would be my, my right. thought around that. I do think that they're, you know, we are, so right now in Lunar Crush, if you come on, you have to kind of search for stuff a little bit, right? You've got to go find, go to your, you know, your chain link page and maybe see where the engagement is and whatnot. So what we're releasing, and I guess I can just talk about it. What we're releasing here in the next right. couple of weeks <laughs> is an alerting tool. Um, and so what cool. we're actually going to be able to do is across all of our metrics, whether or not you're more advanced or you're a beginner, you're going to be able to set custom alerts for all of the different social metrics, right? So like I mentioned before with something like an alt rank, you know, right now you kind of have to be staring at Lunar Crush to know, Hey, like, you know, chain like again, or Tezos or something, one of the mid cap altcoin is, is staying in that crossing that alt rank position 10. But right. what if you want to trick goes from 20 to 10, right? So now you're going to be able to get alerted when anything moves and where it moves. And so it's kind of a first That's step. Cool into that and so if you can you'll also be able to back test in real time all of those strategies um, and it's going to be super cheap as well we know this is a global industry 75 percent of our market is international it's not in the u.s almost 80 percent now which is crazy to think that the u.s is just we're just so far behind with regulation and everything Such else right? yeah so it's just crushing us and so i could see I could see a scenario and we talk about it where if you can kind of perfect those alerts and you're doing well with those alerts, it's a very simple step to connect to an exchange of your choosing. Yeah. yeah that makes a lot of sense. You touched on yeah. something earlier when you were talking about why you formed the company, which is, I found really interesting because you kind of, I make the same sort of joke all the time. Well, it's not like I can see this company's P and L, or like their quarterly earnings report, you know? And so how do I, and, and then that leads to the kind of meme joke that there's no fundamentals in the market and we can just trade the charts in crypto because it's all vaporware or something, you know, um, which I don't necessarily believe, but it is very hard to understand the fundamental value. So are you saying really that like in lieu of having fundamentals, the real fundamentals here are community and they are social engagement and they are, you know, the whole Twitter, Twitterverse as a, as a whole to some degree? Definitely to some degree. I, I definitely think that you, you need to be looking at this data if you want to make more educated decisions on where to invest your time and money in the cryptocurrency space. So, you know, like you said, in lieu of, there are going to be, there's, there's sectors of coins now as we start to learn a little bit more about the space and it matures. There are, I mean, all of these projects, as we call them, are working towards potential revenue, depending on where they are. There's public blockchains, right? And so depending on what they are, um, you know, it just, it, it really matters more in our space than it would in maybe a traditional space. And I think the traditional space will probably move into this, into this kind of social public discourse more. Look I mean, at look Tesla at and Hertz. And yeah. I mean, these are, right. you know, we, we are seeing sentiment driven like social media FOMO in traditional markets. Right. So how do you track that? How do you get out ahead of it? How do you be alerted when these things happen? And that's kind of where we come in is listening to all things financial that are out there and then crypto just because that's where we are we're just so passionate about it and we know that 
this space can lead to some pretty amazing products. I mean, we just had, you know, we just had a really cool project on and I'll give them a shout out. It's called safe Haven and you know, they're working on custody, but for when you, for when you die, you know, what do you do with your, with your coins? Right. And it's like one of the better, right. One of the better use cases, I think. And it's just, they, you know, they hopefully will move towards, you know, maybe someone like my father's age, he's a baby boomer is getting up there. It's like, he doesn't really need to know that it's crypto oriented. He just needs to know that, Hey, I give, you know, my kids these four different keys. And when they come together and it's validated by a third party, it's just released right done and done. It's a very simple, you know, way to distribute and go through stuff that you couldn't otherwise work with the, you know, the traditional infrastructure that's out there. And I think you'll see all sorts of stuff like, you know, like I think real estate is a huge one. Like I keep, and that's just like DeFi is just, it's just the next phase of cryptocurrency. That's all it is. Like staking started and like, then it's now it's like, well, what can we do with staking? Holy shit. And now DeFi comes out of it, but it's just each one of these is a cool product. Like why can't I instantly get a loan across a market because my FICO is, you know, 760 to 820 and I want to sell my house. And then once I instantly get that, it triggers an inspection and triggers an appraisal. Why do you you need middlemen for any of this? Why do you need a loan originator when there's a person who wants money and there's a person who wants to lend money? Because I got to press the print and like, look at your credit. Like Scott, how many credit cards do you have? Oh man, you, you got a ton of credit left because you opened 50 cards in 2008 and said you made $5 million. It's such a small percentage, right? Like it's all bullshit. Don't be a part of the 7.1 million Bitcoiners in the United States who have Bitcoin and a retirement account, but don't have Bitcoin in their retirement account. Seriously, you can hold Bitcoin in your retirement account and not just GBTC. How can you do this? Through a self-directed choice IRA by Kingdom Trust. The first 1,000 users to open a choice IRA will receive $62.50 in free Bitcoin. Visit retirewithchoice.com slash wolf. That's R-E-T-I-R-E-W-I-T-H-C-H-O-I-C-E dot C-O-M slash W-O-L-F. Podcast listeners receive extra points to move up the waitlist and get their choice IRA first. Do it right now. It's time to take control of your financial future and free yourself from the restrictions of classic retirement accounts. Are you sick of paying ridiculous fees to trade crypto? It's time you try Voyager. It's hands down my favorite place to buy and trade crypto, and it's 100% commission-free. Voyager gives you easy access to more than 30 top crypto assets, and you can instantly transfer cash from your bank account so you never miss a trading opportunity. Even better, you can now automatically earn interest on your crypto holdings. Currently, they're offering 5% interest on Bitcoin and 6% on USDC. Yes, you heard that correctly, 6%. And there are no limits or lockups, which means your funds always stay liquid. Find out why so many people are making the switch to Voyager. Visit investvoyager.com or search for Voyager on the iTunes or Google Play Store and get $25 in free Bitcoin when you use the promo code SCOTT25. That's investvoyager.com, promo code SCOTT25 for $25 in free Bitcoin and start trading today. Hey guys, I want to take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Electronium, and their amazing new platform, anytask.com, a place where freelancers can finally be paid for their work without needing a bank. Freelancers match directly with potential clients and receive ETN as payment. Even better, ETN can be spent in over 2,000 physical and online locations worldwide. A lot of companies talk the talk of mainstream adoption, but Electronium is truly walking the walk. They're banking the unbanked worldwide and offering opportunity to those who lack access to the resources that many of us take for granted. 
In the next few months, they're also adding more in-app purchases, including local food and supplies, paid TV, gaming, gift cards, and much more. If you'd like to learn more, head on over to electronium.com. That's E-L-E-C-T-R-O-N-E-U-M.com. <laughs> yeah, and, and people can gamify the system. DeFi is so interesting right now. It's like you said, but uh, I have my fears for where a lot of it's going. But I think that, you know, definitely it is somewhat the future of finance and we will see, you know, real players emerge. I think it's just like any boom, the tech boom, the dot-com boom, whatever. You're just going to see like this grand culling of all the nonsense and scams and stuff. But I mean, it's crazy to see things go from like $1,000 to $0 in less than five minutes. Yes. No, we haven't seen this in a long time. Yeah, since 2017. (laughs) Uh, And like, have you, you know, back testing what you do? Can you like confidently say, hey, we would have seen this crap coming or we would have seen this amazing pump coming, you know, uh, is... I, think, hard, I, I, I think would imagine the negative part is hard because it's not what you're looking for, but yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a little bit more nuanced for a trader or some or an investor. It, it's really looking internally and saying to yourself, you know, I mean, we get, I get a request, I get like 10 to 15 requests a day to add new projects to lunar crush. Well, now so it's like, it's, it's insane how many, I mean, it was probably, we'll call it six months ago. Maybe it was like one or two a day that we would get. Right. And so it's like, if you're an investor coming out into the market and you're looking and you can only find this at a very obscure place and, you know, maybe we don't even have social data up on it yet. And Nobody's so you're saying, do they, yeah. right. Do they even have a community? Do I want to invest in something where it's like some random thing that might not even come to market for a while? If you're okay with waiting and there's a test net and everything else, that's fine. But you probably don't want to invest in something, so, you know, but people chase. Yeah. So a complete lack of social data actually is a great indicator. Like right. somebody's yeah. selling you a bill of goods and nobody's talking about it. That might be a uh, pretty, pretty bad yeah. sign. So that's actually an interesting sort of flip side to it. So I know yeah. um, just so people know, like you guys have some pretty big name investors, right? I mean, you, you've gotten some investment from some pretty, pretty, uh, pretty impressive people. Can you talk about that a bit? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we, we bootstrapped the company from the beginning um, ourselves. I mean, we were kind of fortunate enough to be working um, and, you know, we, we have a little bit older of a founding team. You know, we, we're not, you know, all in our, in our lower twenties anymore, trying to scape and not oh my sleep God, anymore. You think you're older. <laughs> older <laughs> in, in the 30s. No, I'd say we're like our average I know, age. I get maybe it. No, you, you, you are actually right. It just makes me feel terrible because I'm 43 years old. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's, it's, if you ever watched Silicon Valley, it's always like that one episode yeah. of like the one guy's name is like the Carver. And it's like actually some like 15 year old kid that just takes yeah. a bunch of Adderall. Like of doesn't sleep, crushes through stuff. So yeah. that's what you feel is you a little bit you know, mature in the space, but, um, yeah, we, so we bootstrapped and we just, we built this thing and we were fortunate enough to do that. And so, um, you know, we actually ended up going to an accelerator first. Um, so we did a Techstars accelerator in July of last year, which is, uh, depending on what your startup and what you're going through, it's, it is a very nice catalyst to kind of denote a point in time where it's like, Hey, yeah, it's time to work on this full time. And, um, you know, I think we took the, the appropriate steps to kind of line that up and, and get involved in that. And then, um, coming out of that, um, you know, being in the Los Angeles area, um, we, 
met a couple of investors that run, uh, it's called Crypto Invest Summit, now the LA Blockchain Summit. Um, Alan Gorn and Joseph Home, they partnered up with Tim Draper to create Draper Gorn Home, uh, which is a blockchain studio. But also, they, they're amazing investors because it, they're partners. Like, there's, there's investors that you bring on that are just like, hey, man, like, talk to me in five years. I know this takes like five to seven years, like, just whatever. Just send me the monthly updates. And then there are people that are like texting you, how can I help? What can I do? You know, help us out with this, post this. And that, that's the type of investor that, you know, Tim Joseph and Alan are is they're, they're helping us understand the market, they're helping us get deeper into the market. Um, and just kind of bringing the brand to a place, I think that, you know, in conjunction with all of our work is, is a really, it's just coming from a cool place, I think, in the space where it used to be a lot of pseudonyms out there. And I think we've talked about this in DMs before a little bit, like pseudonyms of people and, you know, how do you have to put your face out there, right? You have to, we have to legitimize the space in a way that, you know, is real or, you know, unfortunately, the rest of the market probably won't think it is right and so I think it's getting better now because it's we've we've legitimized it but it's like you have to put your face and name out there and so we wanted to do that and they're super supportive with everything we've done so they've been great it's an interesting mix because uh, you know it's like the old rich guys in suits right and so you've got the old rich guys in suits but then the young guys who, who get it and I've always yeah. argued that you know I mean the community might say like short the banks and F wall street and all those things. But the reality is, is we need guys in suits to show up to Senate hearings and, and, uh, get the wall street money. And it's largely not going to be millennials, uh, with, you know, as you said, sort of like millennials with uh, farm animals as their avatars are not the ones who are going to push it forward in that market. You know what I mean? So I think that, uh, it's, it's a nice mix to have those guys who really believe in it, you know, that, uh, that are putting their money where their, their, where their mouth is, I guess. I mean, Draper has been a pretty amazing proponent for the crypto space. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, it's like in, in our space, sometimes I think people think it's like a little, almost like a little wacky kind of, you know, it's like, you know, I talked to like my dad's financial advisor when I was starting this and he's like, oh, you're, you know, that's just drug money. It's just all, isn't it just people just doing dr it's drug money? Dollars like, are drug money, buddy. Yeah. Right. And then it's like, <laughs> I wait a year. Right. And then it's, he, you know, he's like, oh, you know, still it's drug money. And then I wait another year. He's like, you know, and then now it's not him that's learning. It's all of his investors that are like, Hey man, like my buddy, like just made like 140% last year on this. Like, he's like, we did seven, like what's going on. And he's like, well, we beat the S and P, you know? And then he's like, okay, fine. They wait another year. It's like, Hey, my buddy just did like another 300% on his, on this cryptocurrency thing. Are we going to get into it? And so it got to a point where finally it's like, now I'm getting the call from the financial advisor going, Hey, what's up? What's up? What's happening? Yeah, with this? Their, their hand right. is forced. Every one of these people yeah. has no interest until their clients annoy them enough that they think they might lose their clients if they don't have an answer. Exactly. Which was weird because exactly. I was on like one of the, the, the Goldman call recently, like a few months ago, the, uh, and I was like really excited. I got on the call and I was going to hear what they had to say about it. And you could tell that it was like enough people had asked that they had to publicly dismiss it. Right. And they went on there and they were like, <laughs> this is trash. We don't see any value. It is what it is. Stay away. And I was really disappointed because I thought that their stance would be different, but I do think that it's completely like how much clients force their hand to see if they're going to be interested. Yeah. Yeah. And I really wish, and it's been the U S's stance to, to kind of keep it at an arm's length versus melding with the space. And I think, you know, cause they're thinking like, okay, maybe, and this is with any new technology, maybe they're thinking, 
you know, this is the end of our way of life. And that's scary for people where in reality, if they, they embraced it, it's like they could shepherd it in a way and they can get out ahead of it. I do think, you know, they still have enough money on hand and everyone else. I mean, look at the entire market cap of crypto, right? It's like people like two Sigma are trading that in like a day, right? On currencies global globally. So it's like, they're just, and this could technically represent the next leg up, right? Like if we, if Bitcoin hits a hundred thousand, now it's big enough potentially for some of these big players to actually Thank start you. moving. In. Yeah, and so just, it's like, that's yeah. the leg from 100 to 225, which Tim says is 5% of, mo- of uh, money supply globally. And that's where we need to get to have some dominance. In the, I talk in the about space this all the time and it's come up in <laughs> probably the last three or four podcasts that I've done, which is that like, it's just not big enough yet. So they want in, they just literally can't buy until the market cap is big enough that they know that if they need to exit, they'll actually have someone to sell to. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, at the end of the exactly. day, if you have a $500 million, you know, billion dollar position, you need to know that if things go bad, you're going to need to be able to exit it. It's just not big okay. enough. I mean, I think Apple's like market cap dropped the last day or two more than the entire crypto space, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, Elon probably lost $20 billion in like five days. Like I can imagine not affecting him, but still. <laughs> well, I guess if you gained like five times that much in the preceding two or three months, it's uh that's how I like to look at my losses too. Well, they're losses on gains. So it's, it's, it's fine. Not a big deal. But, um, so I mean, you talk to Tim, these guys all the time. So that really is their firm belief then that institutional money comes with more growth, not that they're buying the bottom as, you know, is sort of the idea that people have in, in the actual community. I think for, for them, I think it's a little bit of, I, I mean, the, the idea of the larger institutions coming in with larger market cap, I mean, that's come from some of our research of talking to some of the larger funds that we've spoken with. I think for some of the people that have been in this space since the beginning and Tim's the world, it's, it's usage, right? It's actual usage as money and getting, you know, getting, you know, people shopping with it and using it and that's how it it grows and becomes bigger and you know then there's countries that might be in kind of an interesting place inflation wise you know maybe not the united states but maybe like a venezuela maybe a zimbabwe someone like that that's smaller that says you know what we have inflation of i don't know i don't know ten thousand percent a month right even a fluctuation of bitcoin from 12k to four four thousand dollars irrelevant is nothing compared to how like money being used as toilet paper, which in our society for three weeks we thought was going to be the currency, right? It's like, <laughs> exactly. there's like a completely different way to look at it for a small to mid-sized country that's trying to be competitive in the market and the land space, landscape, which I think is huge in today's world because looking at the U.S. and looking at coronavirus, we can work from anywhere. Countries need to compete for business and that's where taxes come in place and that's where incentives come in place and that's why you see the Microsoft's of the world based in Ireland and people moving to places like Singapore or, you know, Santiago, Chile, which is favorable in Latin America. Like you're seeing these companies move to different places. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because you said, you know, a lot of these people want to see it used as money, but all the regulation and tax law in the United States prohibits it from ever being used as money. If I buy, if I buy a Starbucks coffee with a dollar, it's not a taxable transaction. (laughs) Right. So how do we ever get to the point where we're using crypto, at least in this country, where we're using it as money if it's literally prohibited by the government to view it as such? Yeah, no, that's a 
That's a very tough question. And it, I, all I know right now is that the situation we're in is every time I, even if I use a microtransaction on Brave, right, and I'm getting paid, that that's like buying and selling a home, right? And like how many times a day do you do that? Like what if I accidentally sent some to the wrong address and that's gone? Like how do they, like, oh, we don't, don't believe get you didn't send that. You don't get a write-off, right. A hack does not oh, get you a write-off. That's, it's insane. Right. So that's, that's just, that's a problem that needs to be solved very quickly. Um, and just so there's less people moving to Puerto Rico, I think. <laughs> people are yeah, but what's crazy needy. is like, what, what kind of pisses me off is, so I have over 5,000 transactions this year, right? If you're talking about microtransactions and stuff, I try to keep on top of it because I don't want to get caught with my pants down when tax time comes, you know? And every time you market buy or market sell something, as you touched on earlier with any size, that can be 70 orders, right? They'll consider that 70 different transactions because it's every time you yeah. fill, not the order that you place. So every one of those is a taxable transaction. I mean, how it, it, it's such a cluster and it's so just absolutely absurd. But what pisses me off, like I was going to say, they're going to change it. And I'm not going to get my tax money back that I paid in these wonderful years of trading. Right. So like in two years when they come to their senses, they're going to say it's dollars in and dollars out of the crypto market, like Forex or something, probably, Mm -hmm. you know, like whatever you do with your Bitcoin, just pay us the taxes when the Bitcoin comes out. I'm going to want a refund, man. Oh yeah. Like our taxes end up being like 50, 60% by the time you calculate all these things and try to make sense of it. When you did it, last year did you did you use a software or anything to help you yeah. out with those I use like four of the softwares and then i talked to my accountant and i talked to an attorney but this year it's even crazier honestly because it seems like the irs is actually paying more attention right so i'm afraid to even miss like one microtransaction at this point or to associate one wrong which effectively means going through thousands of transactions or keeping on top of it and making sure that they're associated this year is different also because i have a, you know I, I have people i like to actually like transact in crypto, even though it's so prohibitive by the government. So I'll have people pay me in Bitcoin instead of money, but like that's associated different. And what if you pay someone back a commission on that who brokered a deal or something, can you write off paying it to, it's just very, very complex. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, it, we, we accept some Bitcoin as a, as a business as well. And it's like, it comes through. So if you invoice someone for a thousand dollars, but when they send it, you get 998. It's like, well, do we have to adjust that? Was their invoice only 998? What, but our contract said it was a thousand. So I guess we'll just let that go. So there's, it's just creating so many barriers and headaches. And I mean, God bless the accountants that are, are working through this because they're saving Crazy. everyone so much time. It's just like, dude, if you could just deal with this, like I just, I, I can't even go through right, everything. But, but, yeah. That, but the thing is the software can, but, and they're, they're getting better, but like an accountant really can't because like they don't, and depending if you're just trading Bitcoin and Ethereum, sure. But if you're trading a lot of altcoins, if you're transacting, if you're God forbid, like have a MetaMask wallet or any of these Ethereum wallets and every one of those transactions and your gas fees, I mean, they're just not even going to have access to all of it unless you're using some sort of software. So it really is kind of just a train wreck, but I guess we can move on from that. Do you think, um, one more. Do you think it was accurate for your trades? Like when you looked at the numbers at the end of the year, were you like, that seems yeah. pretty accurate? Or yeah, like, it lines up. All? Like the, the, it, when it gets a little like iffy is, you know, it's all based on a cost basis, often of things that you bought years past, you know? So yeah. like there has to be a reconciliation for the amount that you sold and the amount that you had and where it came from. And sometimes it was just like, 
an exchange from four years ago that I don't have the tax records of where like I transferred some coin that wasn't on a major exchange. And once I transferred and there's no, there's no like origin of that. So listen, it's really nitpicky if they come after me for that, it'll be the IRS's fun job to go find the origin of that transaction. Godspeed. But it's at that level of insanity. If you really take it as seriously as I do. I mean, I'm, I'm, not going to evade taxes, you know, it's just, I'm going to pay every penny sucks, but I'm going to pay every penny of it. So have you had the similar experience? I mean, how did you do it? Well, I, when I talked to some people that, that use some of the software, they, they said that they plugged in all of their exchanges and they, they did it to the, to the T exactly what they should. And it actually came back with like huge credits because of the timing and the years and everything else that they did. And so they would that. go and they'd be like, yeah, they would go and they'd be like, all right, like a hundred thousand dollar loss. The government owes me 60 grand. Like, this is fantastic. They only let so you, I think yeah. They only let you write off like them down a little bit in that space <laughs> yeah. is what I was thinking. I was like, the government still got, you know, they're slowing them down because they can't, they're like, wait, we just told everyone that we want them to pay us for their crypto taxes. And now we owe all this money. This is not what we thought. Well, yeah, I mean, the, Listen, people took massive losses. I mean, if you're like reporting oh, yeah. in 2018, kind of 19, you know, you would expect that it was mostly people trying to get a write-off and not trying to evade anything. So, so having, you know, you obviously have been doing this for quite a few years, um, even though you formally launched in 2019. What are you seeing that's different this time in this sort of run up, you know, uh, since March, uh, is the sentiment different? Can you get a gauge of where the money's coming from that's pouring into the market through, through social? I think, I think it's a lot of some of the same investors that we've seen. I mean, we're, when we look at social volume though, and it's much higher, much, much, much higher than it was, um, in previous years. Um, and especially because it's, new interesting projects that I think people can understand and get a grasp of that there is real world application. It's like when you launch, everyone was technically a public blockchain back in 2017 and they said they were going to go solve something, but it was just like, no one saw a market for any of these things. Right. And so I think that's why the, the crash was so violent. Whereas this time, yes, a lot of these projects will go away. And, and my feeling is to always you know, and, and you can talk about people that are kind of Bitcoin maximalists and the way that they see the world. And then there's just going to be one. In my view, it's I, I feel like most of the cryptocurrencies that exist today will not exist in the future. But sure. I, I do believe that there will be more cryptocurrencies in the future than there are today. And people are going to just keep launching and keep trying to solve problems through the technology because it does make so much sense and it does create so much value by removing the middleman, right? Like we were talking about. But I... I feel the difference this time is that there's there's solid entrepreneurs in the space that have a little bit of expertise that have been through it that now have created connections and networks at you know potentially some of the larger exchanges or some of the bigger companies that we have in our space and they can they can start to get things done in a better way. I also believe that people are much more focused on user experience and the experience of using their product that before they were just it was very developer heavy right? Like copy my key. Where's my seed phrase? What do I do with that? And now people are not only educated on that more, but it's also simplified. And so as we move into that space more, it's not going to be like, Hey, where's my key to do this or that? It's going to be like, Oh, I just log into this thing and it pays my Verizon bill and these other things with my staking coins every single month. Oh, that's awesome. 
do you think those are the biggest barriers to entry for like retail? I mean, outside of regulation and taxes that we talked about, which are absurd. And if your average person hears about that, they might just run away. But do you think that those are the barriers to entry? It's understanding the tech, the fear of being hacked, the not knowing how to use your wallet, not understanding what a key is. Yes. That, I mean, that's a hundred percent. I remember John and I went to the, uh, it was like a block stack summit at the beginning when we started looking at this, at like the computer museum up in, Silicon Valley. And it was like, we were the only two, you know, quasi marketing UX type people that were there. It was just very developer heavy. And it was like the presentations that were given were so technically advanced. It was like us two. And then there was like one kind of like wall street guy that kind of saw us and like sat at our table. He's like, what the hell's going on here? You're normal. (laughs) (laughs) This is nuts. And I was like, yeah, I go, these people are building the future. And we are hopefully here to shepherd in that next phase of, of usage and understanding. So, because it's nothing without the market and the masses getting in and, and being able to benefit from a technology without having to understand it, right? Like no one, everyone just uses TikTok. They don't know how, you know, it's delivered. They don't know the algorithm that gives from them China. the content. That, it's right, delivered from China. So true. It's interesting. I, you know, I, I'm always mind blown now and maybe it's just, I didn't have my hand on the, my finger on the pulse in the same way in the past. And I wasn't as much part of the community and I didn't have a podcast where I was like inviting these impressive guests, but there's a lot of big wall street dudes and people who had these banking jobs and, you know, really like major executives who now have said effort to that world and all want to be in crypto who see yeah. that this is what they want to build things in this space. And you're talking about like people who really understand what's happening. I mean, I, I uh, interviewed uh, Richard Byworth, the CEO of Diginex, like uh, Equus, they have a, you know, um, a uh, investment bank, uh, institutional grade exchange, they do custody. And he said that right now in all his years running investment banks and whatever, he said that he's seeing triple quadruple the quality talent trying to hire for, a crypto crypto company than he ever saw. And those were much bigger, higher paying, desirable jobs at the time. Yes. I mean, I think that like people want in now and that is a little different than the past. Yeah. No, they, they're starting to feel like they're, they're being left behind a little bit. And that's not for those people that are so kind of high power, super competitive, that's not a place that they like to live for a long time. And so you're seeing these people and it's always, there's always, it's awesome. when you see that shift from like, you know, like the, just to use TikTok as an example, like the seat, like someone that was at Disney for a long time now, you know, jumping over and running something like a TikTok. It's like, I want to see like VP level Goldman Sachs, SVP level partner type people jumping and trying to like run an exchange, right? Yeah, and bringing that, yeah. bringing that up to, like you're saying, like get, get the legislation filled out, figure out what's going on. I think, you know, we kind of, you know, someone like a Kelly Loeffler, I think we thought that was kind of the position that that she was going to take running, you know, the future futures exchange and then going into Congress. I think there was some other stuff there with like trading, which, you know, we don't have to get into, but it's like people oh, like you mean, that. You mean how she uh, sold all of her stock in advance of COVID? No, nothing like that. Right. Yeah. You don't, <laughs> after, it's just like after a secret Senate committee hearing. Yeah. yeah right. Maybe. It's like one of those things where it's like, in today's world, it's like, man, is there really another like police video coming out again? It's almost like Kelly, you got a chance to get in there. Like, uh, Oh man, like, there was such an opportunity. So, yeah. Um, 
people, just humans being humans, right? Like we're just, we, we're fighting these things every day to try and, you know, be, uh, be straight and narrow and, and make it happen. And I think we just, there are some very high integrity, amazingly smart people in this space that, you know, I think otherwise, like in the business world, you just, sometimes these people just don't want to go into politics. It's just a nightmare yeah. to like go there and deal with that. And it's a, you know, and so you have a lot of smart people that are just like, I'm just going to build this really kick-ass cool blockchain business. Right. And I'm going to solve this problem that I couldn't solve before. And holy crap, I don't need a bank for that. And, you know, I, I think that's where it's, it's going to be a pretty interesting next two years of figuring out where the next yeah. big things come from. And it's going to come from someone like that. So I guess based on what you're seeing yourself, just as a, a person who's, you know, day in, day out involved in this industry, but also on Lunar Crush, I mean, where do you think we are in the next sort of cycle here? I'm not asking for like, what will the price of Bitcoin be in six months and then going to hold you to it? I'm just curious where you think, exactly. you know, if... yeah, no, I hear you. Um, I, you know, it's, it's such an interesting, I think right now it, it's so macro oriented with even something like Bitcoin. And I think, you know, six to eight months ago and you, you know, you kind of hear some of the bigger names in our space, you know, talking about like, this is a systematic hedge against, you know, catastrophes. And then yeah. COVID happens. Yeah. And evidently it's not a systematic hedge against global catastrophes, right? It, it moves in conjunction and, you know, like a gold basically, but with a completely different set of that. And so Bitcoin moves on that, but I think you see the rest of the market moving on Bitcoin in a different variant, I guess it's, you just, you know, we, on days where Bitcoin is down, you can have Polkadot up, you know, you can have other projects up, you know, so it's like, you're trying to find sometimes needles in a haystack and, and social helps you identify that I think better than going and trying to find it just on price or technical alone. Uh, but I, I just, the pure amount of talent that's flooding into the space. I mean, there's no question that this space is going to grow and we're going to have super interesting companies and projects that are going to be built out of it, in my opinion. And where Lunar Crush sits in that is, you know, just transparency and helping bring to light a lot of these projects that we think are amazing and that, you know, it's not us picking our coin of the day, right? It's the algorithm that's picking it based on social. And so people are like, man, you guys are really favoriting someone like a V-Chain. I was like, well, no, their community is literally popping off every single day. I'm not doing anything. Like this yeah. is what we built to light. And so I think it's as people focus on community and understand that more and try to bring more people into the fold, I think the space grows pretty rapidly, but I think it's unfortunately going to be led internationally, you know, in places like Singapore and places like the EU and, here. and Africa, right? Like, I mean, look at what someone like Akon is going to do. And at least it's like trying to be a shining star somewhere and showing what the best. And when you have a clean palette like that, you can build from the ground up. It look like it's like almost like a Tesla right? When you don't have the legacy systems in place and you can build something from scratch, look at how much more epic it could be. Yeah, that makes sense. That, that's so true. So like, what are your, you know, in a, in a perfect world, what does Lunar Crush look like in 2022, 2024? You know, what, what do you guys have planned and, and how are you going to evolve? We've got some really, really big stuff planned. I can't talk too much about it right this minute, but you know, Always. the next month or two, I'll I'll be able to pull some stuff out, but, um, you know, it's going to look a lot like focusing on the projects, um, helping them, you know, organize, like we we're talking about marketing and trying to figure that out. We want to democratize people's ability to 
you know, we don't just want people that know marketing or know advertising. We, we want the hardcore developers, the people that might not understand that part of the space. We still want to bring those technologies to light because we think that sometimes those are the projects that the world needs to see. And so we're going to be finding really cool ways to allow those projects to really get on center stage and have people adopt that. Um, and so we're going to be coming up with some really cool stuff for, for basically them to be a part of Lunar Crush and um, have more autonomy over potentially like their pages on our site so that they're the ones that are kind of organizing and, and getting the word out to them. Um, we also, you know, there's, there's a lot that we can do when we, we worked on community first, right? A lot of the people that are in the world, they, they have, a, they launch a coin and then they try to figure out what they're building and then they try to create a community, right? For us, we, we knew what we were building, we built it and now we're building a community and that community is growing. And so it's, you know, we kind of went at the world of crypto in almost a reverse order, but we think that that's probably the order that you should approach the market to kind of validate your ideas before launching full into to infrastructure. It's kind of like starting a Twitter handle, right? If you start a Twitter handle, you know, and you start talking about things that are important to you and what you want the world to look like. And if people gravitate towards that, then you have an audience. So build your audience first is kind of the way that we thought about it. And so it allows us to look at the market going forward and really just decide where we want to go. And so that's the, the cool part, I think, about what we, we've put together. Awesome. So um, where can people follow you, sign up, you personally, uh, and, and keep up with uh, the developments? So just lunarcrush.com. It's, it's free to sign up. So we have like a coin of the day where you can kind of see all of our different metrics, but just sign in with your Twitter, Gmail, email, log in, um, you know, get all of our metrics on there. You can follow us at lunarcrush on Twitter. Um, you know, we're on there posting anywhere from 10 to 50 times a day on insights that we see. So that's kind of a good place to kind of find the news. Mm -hmm. um, you can find me at Joe Vez on Twitter. I usually just talk about like the stock market and how shitty it is that they print money. But, um, you know, it's, it's, I have a lot to tweet about lately. <laughs> my account. What else are they <laughs> talking nice. about? Um, yeah, just lunarcrush.com. Come check us out. I mean, we're, we're tweeting. Get out there. We'd love to have you part of our community. So anyone listening. Oh man, thank you so much for taking the time. And it's really such a different and unique perspective and approach to markets, especially for people who come from other markets and don't understand really how much I think this is social and community driven. So hopefully they'll get something out of this and start uh, following that as a, a path to understanding and making more money. So thank you for taking the time and for being here. This is awesome, man. I really appreciate it, Scott. Yeah. And now since you couldn't tell me like what's coming, we're going to have to do it again. <laughs> in a few months in a few months round two we'll record it we'll record it and then you can release it on the day how about that it'll be like rocky and apollo uh, rocky one and rocky two rocky, right. four. rocky four is my favorite oh i will break him i must break him <laughs> if he dies he dies yeah that's one of my favorite movies my my dogs were always named after rocky characters when we were kids so rocky was like one of them and we had a clubber from rocky three i don't think we ever had that's a that. drago but i did have a friend with that nickname <laughs> Awesome. All right, thank you, man. Let's go.